Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good to see you all. It looks like parents are making their way back in. Aren't you thankful for our volunteers? Yeah. Yes. Well, this morning we are continuing our God Is series. Have you been enjoying the God Is series? Just as a quick recap, yeah, you can clap if you like, that's okay. Uh, just as a quick recap, week one was about God Is Truth. Nick shared that with us. He talked about how we can either sit on the throne of judgment concerning what is true, or we can sit at the feet of Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life, and learn from him. And last week, um, Heidi shared about God is creator. Are you glad that you aren't here on this planet by accident? (laughs) That you are not a cosmic burp? (laughs) That you didn't just gradually appear over time? God intentionally created you, and he gave you purpose, and he gave you identity, and he designed you, and he gave you a personality, and he gave you gifts and talents and abilities, and even some areas of weakness, (laughs) so that we could learn to work with other people and appreciate the creation that God has given us in them as well. And today we are going to talk about God is loved. Love. God is love. How many of you want to be loved? How many of you will not raise your hand regardless of what question (laughs) I ask you? (laughs) We want to be loved. I I know I do. I want to be loved. And our culture is obsessed with love, isn't it? Um, I did a little bit of research concerning love and relationships as a theme in music over the last, uh, what would that be, 50 years or so, from, from the 60s to the 2000s, doesn't include the last decade. But almost 70% of all of the top 40 U.S. billboard hits included the theme and mention of love and relationships. Do you think we care about love? We use the word love constantly, don't we? Almost to the point where it's meaningless. We say, I love my wife. I do, Cecile, I love you. (laughs) She gave me a thumbs up. Right back at you. That's what that meant. Um, I love my wife. I love hamburgers. I love steak. I love ice cream. I love camping. I don't love camping. I love cats. I don't love cats either. I'm just giving you examples. I love sushi. I do actually quite enjoy sushi. Um, I love the color red. Right? We just throw just about everything after the, the words I love. And um, it's no wonder that we are confused 
about what love really is. It can actually be um, quite educational to ask children what things are before they've been influenced by our culture. Um, researchers asked a group of four to eight year olds, what does love mean? Listen to their responses. This is Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. <laughs> Terry, age four, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age seven, love is when my mummy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him <laughs> to make sure that it tastes okay. <laughs> Bobby, age five, Love is what is in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Isn't that profound? From a five-year-old. Noel, age seven. Love is when, a when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. <laughs> Marianne, age four. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Karen, age seven, when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. <laughs> Maybe she had watched some movies, been influenced already. Jessica, age seven, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And I think this may be my favorite. Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. All right, so this morning we're gonna look at uh, 1 John chapter four, verses seven through 12. Before we get to those verses though, I wanna point out something I noticed as I was reading them reading those verses and preparing. I looked at what came before, which is always a good idea. You know, I would encourage you when you are reading a passage that you don't just kind of zoom in on one verse and explore it, but that you look at what comes before, what comes after. Here's something that I noticed that comes before. At the beginning of chapter four, the apostle John is focused on the subject of what is true and what is false. He's teaching the audience that he's writing to, to be able to discern the difference between what is true and what is false. Because it really matters that we know what's true. Remember, God is truth. And so we need to be able to discern that. And this is what he's talking about. And, you know, in, in our world, there are basically two worldviews. There's God's worldview. And since God is truth, God's worldview is true. In other words, it conforms perfectly with reality. And then there's every other worldview. There's two categories, God's worldview and every other worldview. And if there's ever a worldview that differs with God's worldview, since God is truth, what does that make the other worldview? False. Makes sense, doesn't it? And this is what John is pointing out right before he jumps into what comes next. And the subject that he jumps into next is the subject of love. Because your perception, my perception, our view of love is critical 
to how we live our lives. Would you agree with that? So let's look at 1 John 4, 7 through 12. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8, and then we'll make some comments about that and keep going. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Can you say God is love? God is love. John states that love comes from God. He is the source of love and he is love. He is the definition of love. So that's the first thing I want you to hold in your mind. God is both the source and definition of what love is. Now, our culture, particularly Hollywood and the movies and music, has changed this. They've done the old reverseroo. <laughs> Love is God. That's the message of much of our culture. What does this mean? Basically, this means that we idolize love. We put love in the place of God, and we think that love will give us what we ultimately desire. It will ultimately satisfy us. Does that make sense? That's what our culture teaches us. But that's not true because God is love, and God is love is very different to love is God. Just like grass is green and green is grass are two different things. God is love, love is not God. And then even more recently in our culture, we've seen another worldview statement. Love is love. Can you see what's happening here? How the culture around us is trying to reshape and redefine love. Because basically what's happened more recently is we've replaced God with love. Do you see that? God is love. When love is love, I get to define what love is. That's why we like that. <laughs> when God is love, God defines what love is. God defines love not just based on his rational intellect. I'm going to tell you what love is. God is love means that we find out what love is by observing and coming to know God himself. Because God doesn't just feel love for you. God is love. God doesn't just say loving things. God is love. God doesn't just behave in loving ways. God is love. And it is because God is love that everything he does is loving, even when we don't understand it. As we unpack this, we'll get a better definition and a fuller understanding of what love is. And it will help us to, to grasp this more. 
And so if we want to know what love is, we must look at who God is because God is love. I, I want to draw you one other diagram. Actually, the, the heart works. Yeah, let's keep the heart. I wasn't planning on using that, but somebody wanted it, so we'll keep it. All right. So God is love. But do you remember what we said God is or what the Bible says God is that we learned about in week one? God is truth. You see, if God is truth and God is love, true love cannot exist apart from truth. There are lots of definitions in the world around us about what love is. But true love is actually in conformity with truth. You cannot have love that is not also in conformity with God's truth. Anything outside of truth cannot be loving. Does that make sense to you? So we can come up with all the definitions we want as a culture, as a society, but if it doesn't conform to God's truth, the truth about love, it is not truly love. Because if God is love and truth, he cannot contradict himself. I'll let you think on that. That's a deep thought. You'll have to ponder that. This is how God showed his love among us. This is the next verse. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. One of the things you'll notice in uh, the lyrics of love songs is that most of them are actually focused on the way we feel as the person who is experiencing love. Isn't that true? It's about how I feel, about how this person that I love makes me feel. But if you look at this verse, we find out that love is committed to doing what is best for others. Love is actually true love, love that conforms to truth and reality, love that is within God, God's kind of love, is actually focused on, what is doing, on doing what is best for other people. And I want you to notice that God didn't just talk about loving us. He demonstrated his love for us. Aren't you thankful that God didn't just send a love letter to us and leave it at that? He came himself. He demonstrated his love for us. It says God showed his love among us. So this tells us that contrary to what much of Hollywood and the love songs would teach us, Love is not primarily an emotion and a feeling. Love is rooted in actions, in behavior. Love is doing something, or sometimes not doing something. The problem is that if, if love is rooted in and anchored to feelings and emotions, love is unstable. Because if you're anything like me, your emotions and your feelings change. But the thing about God is God doesn't change. And that's how we can say that God's love for us never changes. Because God is love. 
And God doesn't change. Therefore, his love is constant. So we can say that there is nothing that I can do that would make God love me more. And there is nothing I can do that would make God love me less. Because God is love and God is unchanging. God has given us the capacity to feel emotions. And I'm thankful for that. Anybody thankful that you can actually feel emotions around the love that you have for people? But if we follow our emotions, sometimes they lead us outside of the truth about love. God doesn't want us to be led by our emotions. He wants us to be led by the truth about love, what love truly is. And in fact, you know what? At at the heart of it, you and I don't want to be loved purely based on people's emotions. What I mean is this. I want my wife, Cecile, to love me when she doesn't feel like it. Right? I want her to love me when I make a mistake. I want her to love me when I treat her unkindly. I want her to love me when I blow it. I want her to love me when I sin. I want her to love me at my worst. How many of you are with me? Isn't that the way you want to be loved? That's what true love is. That's what God's love is. Love caused God to do something very specific. And it was to send his one and only son into the world. Why did God send his one and only son into the world? Because he loved us. And what did he ultimately want us to experience? It says that we may have life through him. In other words, God and his definition of truth and love, what true love is, is not attempting to withhold life from us. He is actually trying to give life to us. And sometimes our emotions don't like that, and sometimes our minds don't like that, and sometimes our culture doesn't like that. But this is the truth about love. God is always, always, always at work trying to bring true life to us. And that's what he was doing through Jesus Christ as well. In other words, God's love caused him to do what was best for us, not what was best for him. God didn't need to send his son into the world for himself, but we needed God to send his son into the world so that we could experience life. Isn't that good news? Verse 10, next verse. This is love. You ready to find out what love is? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the third thing for you to know about love. Love is committed to doing what is best for others, even at great personal cost. That's true love. I want you to notice that in this scenario, God initiated the love. 
God was not responding to our love for him because we didn't. Humanity did not love God when God chose to send his son. God was responding to his own love for us. And that's why he sent his son. God initiated this love, not us. He loved us when we were undeserving. He loved us when we were in sin. He loved us when we were in rebellion against him. And this kind of love is the love we all want. And we call it unconditional love. That's what we want. That's what we desire. And that is what God extends towards you and I. He does not love you if he loves you because of who he is. He loves you because he is love. And so there will not be any response that comes out of God other than love towards you and I. Everyone is hungry to be loved, not based on our performance and not based on the benefit that another person gets from us just because of who we are. Isn't that a beautiful kind of love? God came to seek and save us when we weren't looking for him. And the only way we could live, remember God sent his son so that we could live through him, the only way that we could live through his son is if his son came to die. God sent his son so we could live and his sons came for the purpose of dying in order to make that possible. That is love. Romans 5 verses 8 and 10. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Wow. This is the unconditional love of God. See, the truth is that you are not only the pinnacle of God's creation, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation, but you and I are the object of his love. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews talks about how God did not send his son to die for angels. But he did send his son to die for you and I. The pinnacle of his creation, main in his image, the object of his love. God chose to love us and he is committed to act in our best interests. Despite the way he felt about our sin despite our rebellion and despite what it cost him. This is the love that God has for you and I. 1 John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That is the way we know we are loved by God. If you ever wonder if God loves you, what you need to do is look at the cross. Look at the baby in the manger. Look at his son on a cross and you will see God loves me. God loves you. He loves me. So what have we learned so far? Let me re recapture these uh, three points. Love has its source and definition in God because love comes from God and God is love. 
Number two, love is committed to doing what is best for others, regardless of feelings. Because God loved us by choosing to send Jesus when we were his enemies. I don't know about you, but I, don't, I do not have warm feelings towards my enemies. <laughs> Love, number three, is committed to doing what is best for others, even at great personal cost. Because God gave his son Jesus to become a sacrifice for our sins, for our benefit, not his. God was not lonely in heaven. God was not in need of you and I but he was in love with you and I. And I'm glad that God was not in need of me, but he was in love with me. And that is why he sent Jesus. Because if God was in need of me, I would always wonder if he saved me because he needed something from me. But God needs nothing because he isn't complete in and of himself. He has all he needs in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But his love compelled him to step out of heaven and come to this earth and step into the mess of humanity so that he could rescue all those who would respond to his love. And that is a beautiful thing. Now, John's purpose here in this uh, letter is not just to give us facts about love. If you read the passage, you actually find out that his focus is not so much on facts about love as it is on the way love changes us. See, God's love is transforming. When you and I experience his love, it changes us if we truly have experienced it. In fact, you cannot experience God's love without being changed by it which is what John says. He uses our response to God's love as evidence of whether we've received it in the first place. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, you and I know that God lives in us, that we've been born of God, that we've been saved by his son, if we begin loving other people. You might be tempted to think, well, but this love that we're talking about, this love that does what is best for others, even at the expense of self, that's God's love. How am I expected to do that? But John actually doesn't see it that way. Neither does God. He says in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus as well, he said that we're to love one another as he loved us. So he doesn't let us off the hook. So what do we do about this? How are we supposed to love the way God loves us? How am I supposed to love you? when I disagree with you, when you've hurt me? How am I supposed to love you with the love of Jesus? How are you supposed to love me when I've done something to hurt you like Jesus loves you and like he loves me? How are we supposed to do that? The answer comes in 1 John 4.19. A few verses later. We love 
because he first loved us. See, our response of love is a response to the love of God. God changes us. He transforms us on the inside so that we both want to love each other and we're able to love each other. The the reality that God is love, that, that reality that God is love changes me. It's not just this theoretical, theological thing. The fact that God is love enables me to love when I experience his love. So what does it look like? What does it look like? Here's a quote that I I found as I was doing some study. A person cannot come into a real relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. The more we get to know God, the more we experience his love, the more we are transformed into the likeness of that love. What does it look like? What does it look like for me to lay down my life for you? What does it look like for me to be committed to doing what is best for you, even at my expense? What does it look like in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our church family? What does it actually look like? Well, there's a a verse, a few verses that are very popular at weddings that I'm going to read to you that give us a very practical window into what love looks like. What it looks like when we have been changed by the truth that God is love. Love is patient. You ready? Brace yourself. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And this is the love that God has loved you with because God is love. Can I read this for you one more time? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God does not keep record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. God will always protect. God always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. So what does it look like when we love each other? Well, it looks like being patient with our kids or our parents when they frustrate us. It looks like patiently sitting and listening so that we can understand where somebody else is coming from that we don't see eye to eye with. Love looks like being kind and changing the milk bag. Instead of leaving just enough milk in the bottom of the bag to be able to justify not changing the bag because there's some left. I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) Love looks like rejoicing when another person gets the new iPhone, the new promotion, the car, the house that you would like to own. 
Love looks like speaking in an honoring way to co-workers or to our spouse when they've hurt us. Love looks like not gossiping when we know something bad about someone and we feel like getting back at them because they did something unkind to us. Love looks like considering other people's needs and preferences rather than trying to get our own way all the time. Love looks like forgiving people freely rather than giving them the silent treatment or being passive aggressive to let them know that they upset us. Is this real enough? <laughs> Love looks like refusing to write people off and believing the best until proven otherwise. In other words, love, me loving you, you loving me, you loving the person beside you, looks like the way Jesus loves us, with grace, with understanding, with patience, with kindness, with forgiveness. That's what it looks like. When we've experienced this kind of love, it changes us, but it also allows us to recognize the counterfeit love that the world pushes our way. And, you know, the reason why we should care about these counterfeit ways that the world suggests love looks like is because it's, it diminishes what love really is. It doesn't produce freedom and life. It produces bondage and brokenness. And God sent his son into the world so that we might experience life through him. I don't know if you have received Jesus' love for you yet, but receiving his love is where this all begins. When we choose to believe that Jesus Christ was the expression of God's love for us, when we embrace that love, it brings transformation to our hearts. And we begin to see the world the way God does. And we don't judge and condemn people that see love differently than God's worldview. What do we do? We love them. We don't criticize them, we don't condemn them, we don't judge them, because that's what, what Jesus did for us. What Jesus did for us is he demonstrated his love by laying it, his life down. And we know that we have been gripped by the love of God, that we truly understand and have experienced it when we begin to love like that. And John would say, if we aren't loving like that, we need to go back to the drawing board. We need to ask ourselves the question, have we actually encountered the love of God yet? Because John's logic goes this way in the book. God is love. Those who have been born of God are children of God. God's children have God's nature. Therefore, God's children love like God loves. That's what God wants you and I to be in pursuit of. Not to try and gain God's love, but because
because we are already loved by God. We're not trying to prove that we love God. We're not trying to prove that we're children of God. We are simply responding to the love of God that has already changed us. A love that has convinced us that we are loved unconditionally by God. And that unconditional love equips us to love everybody the way God loves everybody. I want to close with one more passage here. And then we're going to respond to God's love in worship. And I want you to allow His love, the truth about love, to penetrate your heart so you can lay aside all of the lies about love, the counterfeit stuff about love. Listen to Romans 8, verse 35. This is God's love, and this is the love that He has for you and for me. And it is also the kind of love that He enables us to love with when we encounter His love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, can you say I'm convinced, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you stand on your feet and let's worship Him and thank Him for His love and open our hearts so He can fill it with that love. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.